Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're talking about the 1973 UFO landing. That's correct, the 1973 UFO landing. Now, the first article comes to us from HowStuffWorks.com. The title says, The 1973 Missouri UFO Sighting. Of course, we'll soon see this was a little bit more involved than just a sighting. The article begins by saying, An odd thrashing sound brought James Richard, 41, and his 16-year-old daughter, Vania, to the north window of their Columbia, Missouri's mobile home at 12.30 a.m. on June 28, 1973. Some 50 feet away and 5 feet apart, two brilliant silvery silvery white beams of nocturnal light shone when these lights suddenly faded away an oval-shaped object about 15 feet in diameter became visible near the ground it was so bright that richard had to look away the entire area was lit up as bright as day he reported you can imagine this is 1973 long before the internet at 12 a.m Pretty unlikely that there was even a television channel broadcasting at that time, at least not in Missouri. They look out the window, they see these two extremely bright uh, silver-colored silver lights coming down, beams. And next thing you know, they see this 15-foot disc levitating there, just off the ground, in their yard. That had to be breathtaking, to say the least. The trees in the UFO's vicinity swayed as if caught in a powerful wind. One almost touched the ground, and a limb snapped off. All the while, Richard's dogs lay quietly inside the house. Their behavior seemed oddly out of character. Unnerved, Richard went for a gun, which he kept close as the UFO continued to hover by the trees. Richard then called the trailer park switchboard and asked that the police be notified. As he spoke, the lights in his house dimmed twice. This is almost like something out of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I mean... You don't know if it's just uh, maybe the trees have come in contact with the power lines or if this thing is just sucking so much energy out of the environment that it's literally drawing the electricity out of this man's house. He says the UFO headed off toward the north, its collar dimming slightly and revealing a silvery surface with blue and orange bands of light. At one point, it moved toward Richard's residence, then retreated, and after a few minutes was gone altogether. So it's almost like you wonder if this thing wasn't on some kind of an abduction mission. But when they saw Richard armed, <laughs> they knew it wasn't going to be an easy go of it. I wonder. Investigators subsequently found broken limbs, broken tree limbs, crushed, foil, crushed foliage, and some trees burned leaves as high as 35 feet above the ground. In the days ahead, more leaves wilted and died. The UFO left imprints two feet deep in the hard ground. Now think about that. Two feet deep in the hard ground. So whatever this thing was, it had to have some weight to it. I mean, you can kind of see the 
the chronology of events. This guy is at home in his trailer house with his daughter. They see these two bright beams of light come down. They see this uh, UFO descend down from the trees. Obviously it landed because it left two two foot deep imprints on the ground. It's expelling this bright light. It goes back up into the air and it's putting off so much whether it's wind or some kind of electromagnetic force, that it's just bending the trees over around it. It darts off, then acts like it's coming back toward the trailer house, and then leaves again. And after it's gone, they find broken tree branches, burnt wilted leaves, and even after the event, the trees continue to suffer damage from this encounter. Almost seems like maybe radiation poisoning. This is something that we see uh, happen a lot in these types of encounters. Now, the other article I want to read, uh, maybe a little bit more involved, a little bit more uh, analytical. This is from MissouriMUFON.org. And it says, UFO landing, Columbia, Missouri, 1973. It has a source here, angelfire.com. Glowing UFO physical trace evidence. Columbia, Missouri, June 28, 1973. It goes on, it says, Columbia, Missouri, 2873. Uh, looks like about 1230 to uh, 1.05, so this must have went on for about a half hour, 35 minutes. Witness, James G. Richards, age 41, animal care technician, University of Missouri. So this guy must have looked, worked at the local uh, university down there. Vanilla Richards, age 16, daughter, and Jamie Richards, age 3, son. Weather conditions provided by Don Simonick, Columbia Regional Weather Bureau. Sky clear, visibility 20 miles, temperature 66 degrees, wind 5 knots at 290 degrees. So the wind's blowing 5, 6, 7 mile an hour. Uh, you wouldn't expect the trees to be bent over like that. That's just kind of a nice little breeze. It says astronomical conditions, moon phase 7.4%, rising at 0236, single bright star in portion of sky, capella below horizon, rising at 0106. So in other words, it's pretty much a clear, dark night with not a lot of stars out when they saw this thing. It goes on, it says on-site investigation, July 9th, 1973, Ted and Ginger Phillips, July 14th, 1973, Dr. J. Allen Heineck. Ted and Ginger Phillips, and July 28, 1973, Ted and Ginger Phillips. Location of observation, one half mile southeast of Columbia, northeast one quarter, southeast one quarter, section 17, route 12 west, T48 north, Boone County, Missouri. So you could actually just type that in and go to Google Maps and see exactly where it's at, I'd imagine. Setting the witnesses live, <clears throat> setting the witnesses live in a mobile home located outside the city limits of Columbia. The home is located at the end of a dead end lane, about a thousand feet north of State Road West West WW. The home is surrounded by scattered trees, with the exception of the front yard to the east. To the EA house is located across the lane to the east and is occupied by an elderly lady who was asleep at the time of the observation. It says others contacted regarding this event, Mrs. AP, Directory Assistance Operations Operator Columbia, Mrs. LM, Operator Columbia, uh, Federal Aviation Administration, and then it says the following information was gathered during three visits at the home 
of the James Richards family. Portions of the report are taken directly from the taped interviews. The observation. The event began as Vania went into the kitchen, located at the north end of the mobile home, to place a baby bottle in the refrigerator, which is located by the north window. And that window was opened at the time. Vania heard a rather loud, it could be heard over the record player in the living room, thrashing sound in the direction of scattered trees some 80 feet north of the window. At this point, she could see nothing in the dark, wooded area. As she listened at the window, the sound seemed to be moving around a large tree. So this is a sound of saucers putting off as it's coming in for a landing, apparently. At the sound... As the sound persisted, she became frightened and called to her father to come to the window. Mr. Richards and Jamie were sitting in the living room. Richards stated that, stated that as it was late, he was tired and was slow and was slow going to the window. Vinia ran to the screen porch at the front of the home and locked the outside screen door and the front door. That's just normal normal human behavior, man. She hears this loud, unfamiliar noise, a swishing sound. And she's going to lock the screen door for whatever good that's going to do. By this time, Richards had reached the window and was looking from the left side of the window toward the north northeast. Vanilla took up a position on the right side of the window and was looking toward the trees. As he watched, Mr. Richards noted two beams of light which were located at a point between a fence and the trees. So he specifically sees these lights between a fence and the trees. It's not like he just saw something off in the distance. It's not like he saw, uh, you know, a a radio tower or some uh, just generalized thing. He specifically says he sees these two lights located at a point between the fence and the trees. The light beams would have been about 50 feet from the window. The beams were tapered, wide at the top, about 4 feet wide, tapering to to about 2.5 feet at the ground. They were some five feet apart at the top. The beams were bright and silver, white in color. He could not see any form above or behind the beams. So whatever they were doing, whatever this uh, UFO was doing with those beams, it was doing a pretty good job of uh, hiding itself. You couldn't see the UFO because these beams were so bright. And you can see they're coming directly from the craft all the way down to the ground. And they're kind of fuddling down to a point. He says, suddenly the beams disappeared, faded out rapidly, and a bright oval form was seen just above the ground position of the beams. So the beams disappear, he sees this bright oval form. Richards and Vanna estimated the glowing form to be 12 to 15 feet in diameter and very near the ground. The object was described as extremely bright. Richards had to turn his eyes away briefly, and and it was silver white in color. The edges were fuzzy, and no surface details were visible. The glow did not fade or brighten during the observation. The trees were around the form to the left and right were quite the trees around the form to the left and right were quite visible in the glow. The area was lit up bright as day. No sound could be heard other than the thrashing noise in the trees and the grass. So whatever this thing was, the noise was produced around it, it sounds like. And it's producing this intense, intense, bright, silver, white light. No other forms were seen. They noticed that the trees were moving back and forth as though blown by a strong wind. 
reminding you the wind speeds were five knots, no storms in the area. So five knots is not very fast. Tree, <clears throat> tree A showed a different motion. It was described by Vanessa as a tugging motion. It seemed that something was pulling that one tree forward to the ground. Now, whether they were using this thing to anchor itself to the tree, or maybe this tree was just a whatever kind of a breed of tree it was, it was somehow biologically uh, inclined to be almost like magnetized toward this thing. We don't know, but as they're saying, the trees are blowing away, except one tree seems to be just bent over, being drawn right to it. Shortly after the form was visible, the thrashing noise ceased. The tugging motion on the tree, on tree A, was still evident. Mr. Richards and Vania heard a loud cracking sound, and the tugging motion stopped. It was his tree which was damaged. The following morning, a large limb was found broken at a point 17 feet above the ground. So imagine, this thing was being pulled from 17 feet above the ground at least. So it wasn't like somebody was out there with a car pushing on it. It wasn't like somebody could climb this thing and pull on it. This would have required a tremendous amount of force. The area was very quiet now. Richards moved to the various windows around the trailer. It was at this time that he noticed his dogs lying very still between the trailer and a shed nearby to the west. He told me the dogs were normally barking during the night at the various night animals in the area. Not tonight, though. Those dogs got one look at that UFO, and they were they were being real quiet. It seemed very strange to him that his dogs were not barking at all this noise and bright lights. The dogs are large security animals, not easily frightened. Richards then went to the bedroom at the south end of the trailer to get his guns. He brought the guns to the kitchen, removed several shells from a cabinet, loaded the guns, and placed them on a deep freeze by the north window. He joined Vinnie at the window once again, and noticed that the object was still there in the same position. The light from the glowing form illuminated trees as far away as 100 feet. So this is a pretty bright light. Now, Mr. Richards has got his guns, he's got his guns loaded, and he's watching this thing. So he's intensely involved in this UFO encounter. This is far beyond a sighting. At this close position, about 50 feet, it was silver, white, or aluminum in color. No other colors were visible. Mr. Richards said it was real, real bright at the center, dull white at the edges, way beyond a normal light, such as an automobile headlight, at the same distance in brightness. Of the brightness, Vinaya said, it was bright, but it didn't hurt my eyes. Now, a lot of folks that have seen these UFOs can attest to this very strange, bright, illuminating light. In my own personal experience, it's... Not like something that you've ever seen before. Brighter than stage lights, but, but not to the point where uh, if you've had the experience of, say, staring into uh, the high beams on a car coming at you. Totally different. These are the kind of lights that just seem to be made for the purpose of lighting up everything in a specific area. Very A very weird uh, phenomenon in itself. It says, after the form had remained in this same position for several minutes, Richards decided to call for help. The object suddenly began to move away toward the north, passing below tree limbs through an open area some 20 feet. It moved parallel to the ground until it reached the edge of a field and then raised slightly and hovered some 200 feet away from the house. It almost seems like it was stalking the Richard family. Just watching him, and it seems weird that, you know, he goes and gets the guns and then he calls for help, and then this thing moves off a little bit. At this point, it was not as bright, and they could see it 
and they could see it was silver white at the center with a blue band of light and an orange glow extending around the outer edge. It was still low enough to be below a line of trees at the north edge of the field when it was at this far point, Richard said. While the object was some distance away, Richards dialed 113 for directory assistance. See, it's been long enough. This is before 911. Mrs. AP took the call and later told me that Richards was very excited and seemed to be frightened as he described the event. He told her that he needed help and asked her to contact the police, the FBI, or anyone who could help him. You know, it sounds like Mr. Richards, at some level, knew that he was very close to being abducted by these things, and he wanted no part of that. I have to think in my own mind that if he would have walked out in that yard and looked up like a curious George, he'd have been on that ship before he knew what hit him. Just my thoughts. It says, after about one minute, she told him she would contact an operator and have her call him back. As he talked with Mrs. P, the house lights dimmed twice. He hung up and returned to the window. Mr. While Mr. Richards and Vania were watching the object, Mrs. P contacted Mrs. L.M., and gave her the phone number. Mrs. M immediately dialed the number. There was no busy signal, no ring, nothing in her opinion. The Richards line was dead. Well, it was like this thing had just sucked the power right out of it. She tried dialing the number five times, pausing after the third try to contact Mrs. P to be sure she had the right number. She did. After the fifth try, she, she stated it would have taken perhaps three minutes to dial five times, waiting briefly after each dial and contacting Mr. P., she did not get through. So it's almost like this thing is, this disc has just come down, landed, observed the Richards family, uh, just levitated off into the distance. It said it's suspended there about 200 feet away, and now it's like it's still stalking them. Shuts the electricity down, shuts the phone down. Richards then told Mr. Mrs. M what had happened, what had been happening, well, since during this time, during this time, Richards was quite concerned as no one had called back, so he picked up the receiver to call out again. Over his end of the line, he could hear no sound, no busy signal. He tried again and again. Suddenly, as he recalls, Mrs. M was on the line saying, Richards, and he answered, Jefferson City. Richards then told Mrs. M what had been happening and that he was frightened for his children. Now remember, this is 1973. You could still call the operator. It wasn't all computerized back then. Mrs. M. thought she could not be sure that she contacted the Richards' home at at about at about 1:45 a.m. or 12:45 a.m. To her best recollection, he repeated his story over and over, pausing to ask Vinaya if she was still there and what it was doing. Both operators felt that Richards was sober and telling the truth. After what seemed to be several minutes, she couldn't be sure of the time. Mrs. M. contacted the flight service station at the Columbia Regional Airport. Mrs. H. S. was on duty at the time. Mrs. S. stated that Richard sounded sincere and sober. He seemed to be frightened as he described the event. After several minutes, Mrs. S. told Richards that there had been another sighting on June 24th at Jefferson City. She then told him that she would contact the police for him, and they hung up. So as we so often see in these situations... The sightings are are occurring on multiple days, and this is no different. Had one on the 24th that was reported in Jefferson City, not that far away, and here we are in Columbia on the 28th. And who knows how many times it was seen in between, but people just didn't report it. It goes on and says the object was again 
moving toward the home, and Richards became very frightened. Richards stated, it came back, and we had it. I'll tell you, we didn't know what to do. We both got kind of scared. I said, what's going to happen? Something's going to happen here. This could, this cold feeling came over me. I got I got speechless at this time. I just had this cold feeling. When it came back that second time, I was just sure. Like you almost feel like you were going to get killed or something. Like death was at you. This was it. I didn't know what to do. I just froze. This man knows that this UFO entity, whatever it is, he knows in his bones that's hunting him. It's stalking him. No doubt in my mind about that. He says, I just know. I just knew this was it and no one could come. No policeman. I was scared to go to the door. I wouldn't have gone outside no way. Then it says, the object moved through the trees to a point near the trees near its original position, 50 feet away from the window. So now it's coming back to the house. It remained there for an undetermined period of time. It suddenly moved away through the trees toward the field. It moved with a smooth, slow motion, no sound. Richards noted that the trees did not move during the second close approach, and there was no threshing sound. As the object reached a point at the near edge of the field, it raised slightly until it reached a point over the field some 200 feet away. It hovered, and no motion could be seen. It was still below the tree line to the north. The orange and blue bands could be seen again. It was silver, white at the center. The glow seemed to shrink. Even though it was getting smaller, the orange and blue bands were visible until it just disappeared by growing smaller and smaller. It does not appear likely it was growing smaller because it was moving away into the distance as no motion could be seen, and it would have hit the trees to the northeast had it flown away. After the glow had faded out, the object was not seen again. Almost makes you think these things are interdimensional, because it's not going away, as I say. It's just fading in and out of existence. At about 0145, that's about 145 in the morning, so this is almost two hours after all this started, over two hours. Over an hour, yeah, over an hour and a quarter, I guess. The police arrived. One young officer walked to the area with Richards and looked around briefly. He told Richards that there were some tracks, but they looked like they were made by rabbits. Richards told him to forget the whole thing, and he returned to the trailer, followed by the officer. He told the officer if he thought they were rabbit tracks, he should forget the whole thing. It is very possible the officer didn't see the deep imprints. They did not see the broken limb at the time. Richards called the flight service station after the object had disappeared, and Mrs. S stated that, and Mrs. S stated that he seemed relieved that he could talk with someone about the event. So he calls the cops up, and the cops basically just blew him off. Is what it sounds like. You know, this is a pretty big story to digest for people that that uh, want to deny the existence of the UFO phenomena. It says, the site, July 9th, 1973. My wife and I interviewed the witnesses and investigated the area on our way to Chicago. Alan Hynek had invited us for a visit and to meet jazz drummer Buddy Rich. I, being a drummer, and had mentioned to Alan that Buddy was my favorite on the planet. Buddy had a sighting and had contacted Alan a week earlier and was playing in Chicago for a week. I spent most of the time observing measurements and taking photographs of the site. The imprints and damage to the trees is located in an area of scattered trees north of the trailer. A fence is located 25 feet from the window, and the first imprint was found some 50 and a half feet beyond the fence. This seemed to be a series of there seemed this seemed to be a series of imprints rather than just one. The imprints at this point, number four, they were they were six inch, they were 0.05 feet by 0.4 feet with a depth of 0.2 to 0.3 feet. 
This first set of imprints are nine and a half feet from a large broken tree limb. This limb is 0.4 feet in diameter and was still attached to the tree trunk. So this limb was, you know, what, five inches across and was still attached to the tree, but just kind of ripped off, it sounds like. It appeared to have been twisted and pulled toward the ground. That would take a lot of strength to pull a five, six inch limb off a tree. The limb was broken at a point 16 and a half feet above the ground. Two smaller limbs, each 0.1 feet in diameter, located on the larger limb were broken off. A small limb, 17 feet above the ground and extending from the tree trunk at the point of the break, shows signs of being rubbed. All the breaks were fresh. Leaves in an area above the path taken by the object to and from the field, but especially over the point where it had been, where it had been had hovered, are dying. There are signs of heating three limbs on the tree. B had leaves that were brown. These are 25 to 35 feet above the ground. To the north of the first imprints along the object's reported path, we found a complex series of imprints. He says, it is difficult to determine a pattern as the object moved through this area four times, coming in and going out. Bob Gassaway, a reporter for the Columbia, the Columbia Tribune, visited the area the day after the sighting. He told me that he tried to make a heel mark by one of the imprints, and although he weighs 300 pounds, he could force his heel to a depth of only about a half inch. As imprints are generally 0.5 to 0.4 feet, so, you know, 4, 5, 6 inches deep, with a depth of 4 inches, 0.3 feet, we must assume a weight on each imprint above 300 pounds. Rabbits don't think so, basically what he says. There were no marks in the fields and the radiation, and no radiation could be detected. Plaster casts were taken, and the imprints were outlined with flour for photographs. When we arrived in Chicago, I processed the film at the Northwestern University darkroom. We described the event with the photographs, and Buddy and Alan both planned to go get back with us. Or go back with us. Alan made it, but Buddy couldn't get around his schedule. Buddy and I discussed cases many times after this. On July 14th, we returned with, with Jay Allen. The leaves were all quite dead, the, and the limbs were barren over the area. Wow. So whatever this thing was, it caused permanent damage to these trees. And I just find this to be a fascinating, a detailed account of what happened. And what, what this uh, gentleman and his daughter saw on June 28th, 1973, back in Columbia, Missouri. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out.